Hey there, this is Nathan Agin, and welcome to The Working Actor's Journey, connecting you with lifelong professionals. Today on the show is a Q&A with director Libby Apple that was broadcast live on Facebook in October 2021. It's great that we can follow up on our checkout workshop from last episode with an even deeper discussion with the director. Now, this podcast is designed to show you how the work is done, what the realities of the working actor life are like, and to share all the different ways actors have come to this career. There is no one path and no single answer. We want to learn from all of those further down the road, to shorten the learning curve, and to discover what helps and what doesn't when it comes to having a lifelong career as an actor. In this chat, you'll hear Libby and I talk about what she looks for in auditions, what she expects in rehearsals, her inspirations, what things went well, what scared her, and yes, we have another lightning round. For those who don't know, Libby Apple is the author and translator of five Chekhov plays, the former artistic director for Oregon Shakespeare Festival and Indiana Repertory Theater, and former dean of Cal Arts Theater. It was a great honor that she gave so much of her time to both the workshop and this Q&A. I believe this was also her first live experience on social media, so it was fun to make that happen, too. Libby still has so much enthusiasm for theater, and Chekhov in particular. I believe it's infectious being around this kind of passion. Gaining insight into the other side of the table is always valuable, and few directors have accomplished as much as Libby, so I'm sure it'll be a fun and very informative hour for you. So here we go with our Q&A. Please enjoy my chat with Libby Apple. Okay, I think... I think we're live. We're, I get I got the notice that we're we're live. It's being live streamed. So yeah, and and Facebook is telling me live. So Libby, uh, I, I welcome. I mean, I, I I haven't even really done this, but welcome to Facebook Live. Here we are, uh, and uh, I'm I'm so thrilled that we could uh, you know do a bit of a, a Q and A. Uh, my name is uh, Nathan Agan, and I'm the host and producer of the Working Actors Journey. Uh, there's a podcast that uh, I've been doing for a number of years, and then over the last couple of years. We've been doing, or a year and a half, we've been doing these online workshops, uh, and that's where uh, Libby comes in. She is currently uh, working with a group of uh, professional and newer actors uh, and a dramaturg and voice person on a scene from Uncle Vanya. And what's particularly special about this is we are using her translation uh, of the play, really diving into this scene uh, in a way that um, uh, you rarely get to do, uh, take this much time to, to work on something. So been really excited that Libby's been able to be part of this that way. Uh, and, uh, and, and yeah, so that's, that's where Libby is, uh, you know, involved with what we've been doing, but without further ado, let me, let me jump into my list and we'll stop me talking, get you talking, Libby. Um, you know, there may be a number of actors who are watching this and, uh, you know, one of the things that everybody thinks about are auditions. And I would imagine to some degree you have sat in on a number of auditions uh, uh, over your career. Probably. Yeah, right. And so what do you look for? What did you look for in an audition? What are, what are you hoping to see? Because that's the big that's the big mystery. It's a big question mark. It's a big fear for many actors of, you know, what am I supposed to do in this, you know, in this few minutes. And so I'd love to hear what, uh, what, what you always were looking for. 
Well, I think the first and foremost thing I'm looking for is for that person to walk in and I say, that's the character. That's what I want for the character. So I, I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm always hopeful for the actor that comes in. Uh, I'm not ever show me, do it for me and sitting back and 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 not believing that it's uh, it's going to happen. Um I, I believe it's going to happen every time. And I think if an actor walks in, if, if the actor has done some prep, I, I must admit that I am a person who looks for skills, not just the essence of the being, but skills. If, if you've uh, practiced your craft and been part of a theater environment um, or grad school environment, that's going to be important to me. Um, but it's just a sense of, I want this role. I'm, I think I'm right for this role and I'm coming in to get this role. Okay, cool. Well, yeah, I mean, I think uh, that, that sense of confidence and, and I think, you know, that sense of confidence in yourself as an actor of, of what you can do, you know, and, uh, you know, none of us can do everything, but if you are confident with, this is what I can do. I'm confident in my abilities, my skills, my take on this. Uh, and that's, you know, that's all, that's all, that's all that's in your court. And then a lot of it's just kind of uh, up to fate. You know, if that, if that's a match for what the director or the team might be looking for. Right. Exactly. Cool. Uh, well, great. Uh, and, and I can see now I finally, I think I got my layout here. Uh, yeah, I see we have a number of people watching. And uh, let's see, An Annalisa Blake Wasden. Oh, so hi. excited. She's, she's, she said, thank you for the invite. Um, can't wait until next Monday. I uh, love learning from Libby. She's such a force. Uh, Wendy Radford is here. So great to see your oh, face. Wendy. So see, look at this. Uh, we're, we're get to, oh, get to, happy to hear that they're here. Bring you into the 21st century with these uh, these kind um, of things. You're struggling though, aren't you, Nathan? It's no. not easy to bring me into the 21st century. Everyone who deals with me knows that. I'm way behind. That's okay. That's okay. Um Sticking with actors for a second, uh, and I'll quickly say for anyone watching, uh, you know, now that I can see the chat, feel free to drop in any questions and while I'll try to pepper those in. Um, but sticking with actors for a second, what what do you feel is the job of the actor before the first day of rehearsal? Oh, that's good. Um, I I want if the, if it's available, of course, sometimes it's a new play and the pages mm -hmm. are coming out as people are walking into the rehearsal room. Um, but if at all possible, I want actors to have read the play and had, and I want actors, to, I should have said this too about auditions. I want actors to have read the play before the audition so that they're not just working on one tiny little moment, uh, but that they show that they've got a grasp of what this play is doing. Um, mm -hmm. I can't always tell if they've read the play before the audition, but I can tell you that it will always inform the actor if, if they're aware of what uh, that is. I have a beautiful, wonderful granddaughter who is studying acting at San Diego State. And she mentioned to me that she had auditioned for something and she and I said, did you, oh, I know that play pretty well. Did you read it? She said, no. Well, I gave her, <laughs> there's no daylight there. You never walk into an audition again if you haven't read that play. Sure. 
Well, that, okay, great. Well, that's that's great. And um, we're getting more, lots of people, uh, this is probably no surprise to you, lots of people love you uh, and are so excited, uh, you know, to learn from you. Uh, let's see, some of the other people joining us. Uh, let's see, uh, and, I, and I apologize in advance if I butcher any of these names, but uh, David uh, Hachoy, uh, Dodie Palmer, Gail Silver, William Bloodgood, thank you all so much for being here. And they all say hi, they adore you. Um, uh, let's see, uh, Ian Patrick Williams, one of my best teachers, directors. Uh, D, uh, that was 150 years ago, Patrick. That was in 1970. <laughs> I think I think that's only 50 years ago. You can leave I know. 100. Feels like 150. Okay. <laughs> um, let's see, D. D. Maske, um, D. Maske, one of the yep. great actors of the of the world. Oh, cool! She says hi, Libby. I'm still here. Uh, Me too, D. <laughs> Me too. Uh, Michael Barakiva. Okay, great. We great. We uh, we have uh, lots of people tuning in. This is wonderful. Um, P. K. Smith had a question. Uh, I wonder in what ways you feel that Chekhov has influenced the works of Tennessee Williams. Oh, yeah. I think all of the great modern playwrights, uh, they're called modern. I mean, now they're long gone. But the modern playwrights like Tennessee Williams and Arthur Miller and William Inge were very influenced by um, detail, the detail that Chekhov chooses, uh, the um, lyricism. And people don't always think of that when they think of Chekhov, but I try to instill that, that mm -hmm. they're very lyric. And Tennessee Williams, who is extremely musical himself, I don't mean he plays an instrument. I mean, his plays are musical. They're pieces of music. Um, uh, I, I'm quite sure it was influenced by uh, Chekhov. I can tell you without having ever spoken to him, that Samuel Beckett couldn't have written without Anton Chekhov. Hmm. Couldn't have. The sparseness, the clarity of detail, just the, the two or three words that are used or, or tiny incident that's used. Um, I've directed a lot of Beckett, Samuel Beckett, and uh, I, I could feel Chekhov hovering around my shoulder. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, it, it's um, it, it is really interesting, especially as you go deeper into, um, you, you know, certain plays that have come later and, and you really start to see patterns and, and you see where, you know, where they may have been inspired or, you know, as you just to become as you become more familiar with material, you you start to see like, OK, yeah, I, and I can see where they, you know, may have been inspired by this you know element or these elements. But like I said, that 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 detail, I think that's really cool because I think that is something that has come up uh, in the rehearsals, um, in, in the discussions that you guys had about Uncle Vanya, just, you know, that that level of detail and really thinking about all the different things that are going on in the house, the weather, just all these elements that are that are so critical to playing the scene and understanding the scene. And, and you know, that's real life, too, isn't it? I mean, it. it uh, we are being, I'm being influenced today as an absolutely beautiful day, of course, in Santa Barbara. Um, and that's influencing my mood, my temperament, what the way I'm feeling. Sure. Everything influences us without uh, our 
writing down the given circumstances of our own lives. Uh, but that's what's going on. Chekhov knew how to pick the details that would influence the actor. Um, he's always writing a score for actors. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, cool. Um, let's see. Uh, sticking with Chekhov for a second, um, I was curious, what do you see actors potentially shying away from with Chekhov? And, and in the reverse, uh, where do you see actors uh, succeeding? You know, because I think I think every playwright brings its challenges and and there are maybe elements that um, scare or, or frighten uh, actors in, in terms of what is being asked or demanded of them. And so w- where do you see people shy away and where do you see people, you know, overcoming that and, and succeeding? Well, I, I'll start with, go, go from your last point to mm-hmm. backwards. Uh, um, I think that once an actor, and this has been my experience, uh, once an actor has played in a Chekhov play, has had the experience of, of working into that detail of character and that, that incredible subtext loaded underneath the top text, uh, they never really want to do anything else. Uh, I, I, so backwards, I would say that it sounds frightening in the same way Shakespeare sounds frightening to actors. But once you've had experience, it's like anything else. You know, once you've had experience, you know where you're going and what you're doing, and uh, it becomes a, a delight. Chekhov is particularly wonderful for actors, particularly because of of the the text that's chosen is so is so ripe with what's going on underneath that. I don't know. I don't know why you'd want to be an actor if you don't want to know about motivation and what you're really thinking mm-hmm. and what you want to accomplish. So right. I would say it's after it's an actor's delight. Mm. So so being really, I think, willing to um, explore that almost level of imagination uh, and just be willing to, you know, exercise that muscle if it's not something that maybe you've you've leaned on in the past it's like well this is going to demand that of you yes i i think that's very good uh i think every play demands motive you know mm-hmm. After, mm-hmm. without intention you can't well you kind of can't do anything in life but sure but in, in a play an actor can't be without it's it's that the intention might be why why is he doing this? In other words, it's not obvious immediately. Right, right. Or it um, seems unimportant. Uh, Chekhov um, was asked about the character of Stanislavski played Trigorin uh, in the mm-hmm. Seagull for in Seagull for um, Chekhov at the Moscow Art Theater, and Stanislavski asked him, "You know, can you give me some?" thoughts about the character and, you know, Stanislavski from reputation uh, always wanted to, you know, get, have the crickets uh, cricketing and, you know, every detail there. And Chekhov said he wears yellow shoes and he whistles. That was the clue 
for Stanislavski. Yellow mm. shoes and whistles. I mean, he was expecting a character analysis. Right. And that's what he gave him. Well, what does yellow shoes tell you? Let's not go into that here now. But um, and what does whistling tell sure. you about a person? It's these clues mm-hmm. into um, who the, this person really is. Right. Right. And, 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 and being willing to, um, you know, take the time to really investigate that as opposed to like, well, well, no, he just, you know, he wants this thing in this scene and, and, you know, it just, it makes it much, much richer and deeper uh, for, for the actor. And, and I think as a, as a, as a result, that experience by, by fully embodying and creating a three dimensional person uh, it's going to affect the world of the play. It's going to affect the audience's experience, uh, you know, all well, these things. You know, one of the reasons uh, I suspect that people say, oh, nothing ever happens in Chekhov. I hate it. I'm talking about audience people. It's sure. hard to sell a Chekhov play on a right. on a bill. Believe me, I've <laughs> <laughs> and designed a lot of uh, bills. Um, I think that they feel like nothing happens, but in fact, as Chekhov said in his letters, uh, he would like to, he puts people at a dining room table having dinner and having chit chat at dinner while mm-hmm. the world is shaking underneath. Uh, and you, if an actor doesn't discover and personalize and deeply connect with what is going on, then they miss the boat and nothing really happens in Chekhov. But in right. fact, Everything is happening and it just takes a discovery process and patience, patience to let yourself find it and connect with it and connect with your partner. Uh, Great. Wonderful. Um, I I see a couple other uh, comments coming in. Uh, Annalisa asked, uh, how important is the role of the dramaturg to the director, actor in production? How have you used the dramaturg in your productions? Well, Annalise is a wonderful dramaturg. And so that's a great question that she'd like people to know how important, you know, dramaturgs were used in Europe long before American theater uh, um, developed it. And I, I have to say that when I began in the sixties, I don't remember dramaturgs uh, working on productions. Hmm. It has evolved. And, and, Annalisa probably knows, and certainly somebody else uh, who, who, you know, is a full-time dramaturg uh, could speak to this, but I don't know exactly when it started to develop, but I think I'm aware that in the 80s, yes, I remember in the 80s, I brought the first dramaturg to the Utah Shakespeare Festival. Um, Hmm. Michael Flackman was his name. Sadly, he has passed. but. That was a new concept for them. And I brought a dramaturg as a guest director to the Oregon Shakespeare Festival in Mm. 88. And again, that was the beginning of dramaturgy for them. Hillary Tate had already begun doing that, but it wasn't called dramaturgy then. It became realized that it was a European phenomenon. Now, a dramaturg is there to support just like a a voice person or a movement coach or is there to support that particular production. And usually a dramaturg, if you're lucky, if to have a dramaturg as a director, it's the greatest resource because that person helps you 
do all the resource materials, mm-hmm. uh, do all the history uh, of the uh, of of the circumstances of of what the play is doing, and and stays in tune with the text all the way through. So a dramaturg works up until opening night in the same way a voice coach does, listening for accuracy. And it, and the thing that I have always loved about dramaturgs is they're generally speaking the most generous people. They will look for things and, and it, and find out what you still need to know. Oh, I think I can get you something on mm. horse and carriages, you know, at, at when um, I'm just thinking about three sisters when uh, uh, Natasha goes out and the oh, okay. bells are, are ringing. And it's important to know what that right. is outside with protopopo. Okay, I'm I'm going off on a tangent, but um, dramaturgs support the production in in uh, very meaningful ways. And, and and I'll I'll just add here, like that's been one of the really wonderful parts of a lot of the workshops we've been doing, including the one uh, that that you've been part of, Libby, is actually um, Allison Horsley who uh, helped you uh, write those new Chekhov translations. She did uh, the she did the literal Russian to English. Right, right. So, which is a skill in and of itself. Yes. Um, and and so she we've been able to bring her in. And what's even more exciting is she's based in New Zealand now, but yes. we can still bring her into the virtual room. Uh, and she's there as a resource for the actors for for Libby uh, to you know talk more about what you know what the summers would have been like or where yeah. Chekhov grew up and what he might have been thinking about or what might have influenced him and all this kind of stuff so uh, it's really exciting and it's been exciting over the the months to see just how deep everyone can go with that addition of the dramaturg in the room because you know you can't expect the, the director to know everything and and there's not time for the director to go into no, everything. No, but a direct part of a director's work and always has been uh, is to do a great deal of research before mm-hmm. you. I mean, I think it's really important. I'm probably uh, uh, insulting somebody to say this, but I think it's really important for directors to be prepared yeah. to really know what their play is doing. Uh, that doesn't mean you're not open in rehearsals to discovery. Constantly you're discovering. Right. But real planning and research needs to be done. A dramaturg who is part of that team will often lead you into where you need to do research before mm-hmm. you begin with, with actors. So uh, it it's an excellent combination. And yeah. I think theaters are lucky when they have a dramaturg on, on staff. Yes. And, and I, and I hope more and more theaters continue to, to, to value that um, resource and, and, and add that into the budget. I think there's a lot of things that get cut uh, when, when, you know, oh, they, yes. they want to produce theater and, oh, but we need costumes and we need sets and, and I'm not taking anything away from the value those things bring. Uh, but there is something to be said about really being able to understand the material that you're working on and, and have all that, you know, ha- have those resources. And to help tell the story. That's yeah. what you're doing as you're telling stories. Yeah. Um, well, I want to jump into, uh, it, it's a topic I think that still resonates today. And, and it was something that that you were working on as an artistic director. Uh, you know, a lot has been written 
um, about when you were working as an artistic director at both theaters, uh, how you wanted to create a more diverse atmosphere. Um, and we are even, I say we, me and perhaps others are even more acutely aware of those goals uh, still today, you know, 20 to 30 years later. And how did, how did you go about, uh, you know, achieving that? I mean, and then I know that's a very large, broad question, but, you know, it's more like what advice might you have to share? Because I'm sure there's always going to be some ruffling of feathers, but what is the path forward if, if somebody is, you know, leading a, a theater company or a part of a leadership team and they want, they have a commitment to more diversity. You know, you were doing it 20 to 30 years ago and I'm sure it wasn't always welcome. So 50 years ago. Yeah. So even, even more, and it probably wasn't always welcome. Um, so what was your path forward through that? Well, it, it, it was always important to me and I'll tell you the major reason it wasn't, I, I, I kind of, need to apologize at this. It wasn't because of social justice so much is that, that I thought it made the plays better. <laughs> I thought it really elevated yeah. the art. And I'll give you, a, I mean, in 1974, six, 76, I did a play called uh, Hot El Baltimore by Lamford Wilson. Mm-hmm. And there's a pair, there's a, a twins in the play. And I had an African-American man and a, um, a white woman play the twins. It, each of them brought so much of interest to it. I mean, for me, it was important. And I, I'll tell you a story that means a lot to me. When I, when I did, I've always uh, looked for diversity in casting because I think it's richer. And when I did um, King Lear at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival in 97, I think, mm-hmm. anyway, um, I had, uh, well, there were many African-Americans in the cast, but uh, an African-American man by the name of Tyrone Wilson, who's still at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival, wonderful man, a beautiful, beautiful person. Um, played France, the the guy who takes Cordelia and marries her and uh, says, you know, to Lear that he's, he, he loves her. And right. Lear is trying to, to push all these suitors out. This is when, in the um, first scenes of the play. And one time in rehearsal, because Tyrone is such a family person and such so demonstrably joyous in, in one time in person, you know, usually these suitors are all straight laced and put together. And I don't remember any of the language in it, but it doesn't allow for a free flow. But Tyrone was so thrilled to get Cordelia in his arms. He just swept her up and, and, said his lines about he wants to marry her. And I learned something about the play. Well, of course, I'm constantly learning from actors, but I learned something because Tyrone was not afraid to use his impulse and his impulse comes from his background. Right. I don't think a white actor would have done what what, um, Tyrone did. And for me, that just 
makes the play better. Yeah. Yeah, we, we've diversity is, of course, it's about social justice. I mm-hmm. do want to say that, of course, it is. And it is time that we see people of color in the same positions um, as all people together. It, it, it's absolutely crucial. Wow. And, and the pendulum needs to swing that way. But it's also the art that is improved by people of varying backgrounds who come to plays, come yeah. to embody the play. Yeah, I was uh, I was just talking to an actor yesterday who's, who's been in our workshops, he's a black actor. And 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 I said, I, I feel like I would have such regret if we hadn't included you in certain scenes that he's worked on because again, he brought such unique choices. And, and it's not to yeah. say that you know, anyone wouldn't have other unique choices, but it's, it's, you know, when you see it, you realize what a, what a gift it is and what a joy it is and what a loss it would be to not have this, you know, to have other perspectives and other ideas, because, you know, it's like, that's what you want to see is you want to see people making these characters their own and really embodying them and giving them life. And, you know, whatever that takes, I I think is really important. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I think it's really, uh, I agree that it's really crucial. And I mean, I think it's also very interesting that you were, you know, a female uh, in a very male dominated, uh, uh, you know, theater scene. And so that was really, that was the only, that was the other glass ceiling you were trying to knock down. It was, and and, I don't know, you know, I, I think about this a lot because uh, I'm, I'm very conscious and caring about uh, women's issues. Mm -hmm. But I don't think I was really when I was a young director in the in the the 70s and even the late 60s. I went back to grad school in 67 and started directing. I I wasn't and I had two children, small children at home uh, in in 67. Um, I wasn't aware. It's only in retrospect that I see how darn difficult it was. Mm -hmm. I just knew what I wanted. And I've always had a lot of drive. Um, I'm, I'm aware of the history Mm -hmm. now. Do you know what I'm sure? Well, and, and I, well, and and from other conversations you, you've mentioned, you know, at certain theaters you worked at, like, you know, you were the, the token female director they would bring in so that they could say, look, we're diverse. We have Libby uh, as a director. Yes. And it was always the female play, you know, right, yeah. play that was softer and sillier. Right. Yeah, and I definitely. would say to the artistic director, you know, I do Henry V also. Sure. <laughs> but it wasn't until I had my own theater that I could do Henry V. Oh, great. Um, let's see. There are a few other comments coming at us. Let's see. Uh, yeah. A lot of people saying hi. Uh uh, let's see, uh, Carl, Carl Palmer, uh, remembers, uh, working on, uh, Hay Fever with you and listening to the music there. Um, let's see, uh, lots of people saying hi, Kevin Brief, Catherine Conklin. Um, Kevin, Kevin Brief was, was a student of mine at Long Beach State that was 
76 to, to 80. So, I mean, that's a long time ago. Hi, Kevin. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, let's see, An- uh, An- Annalisa says, uh, uh, talking about diversity, she was working with Libby at IRT and witnessed how she cast some many, uh, cast many of the actors of diverse backgrounds in those productions. It was amazing to witness how she encouraged each actor to, each actor to bring their uniqueness and culture to each role. Um, well, thank you. That, that is what I was trying to say before. And of course, Annalisa said it beautifully. Let's see. And uh, let's see. Dave, David says, uh, Libby certainly shook up the rather traditional minded audiences in Indianapolis with her multiracial casting uh, in the 90s, especially with Cherry Orchard. Uh, so, uh, yeah, yeah. You, you know, you, you've been uh, you've been doing it all along, which is great. Um, I, I, you know, is there uh, is there a you've worked on so many different things, so many different plays, but also, you know, done so many different things. I know the job of artistic director has a lot to do in addition to, you know, whatever you might be directing that season. Um, Is there one thing looking back that really scared or terrified you before you dove into it? And how did it turn out? Like everything. (laughs) (laughs) I, I, I don't know how to choose one. I like everything, every new play or, you know, play. Um, I did my first Shakespeare in 1974 with Judith Ivey, the Mm -hmm. fabulous actress, Judith Ivey, um, Larry Russo, a number of wonderful people, Glenn Kovacevic. Um, uh, It was two gentlemen of Verona. And I mean, I was so terrified. Uh, you just like an actor, I had never done Shakespeare before, and uh, while I had studied it, I I had never acted it myself, mm. acted in a Shakespeare play, or and certainly never directed it. And I had a dear friend who was very smart, and she would sit with me. And 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 teach. This was before I went into rehearsal. Teach me the rhythm mm. of each line, iambic pentameter, and and how all of all of the rhythms worked. And she was so patient with me, and it helped me a lot. But you can imagine how terrifying that was. And while Judith Ivy wasn't the star that she became, the Broadway brilliant uh, actor that she became. Uh, she was pretty fabulous. So it was a demanding environment. Um, and I don't know why, why I should remember Two Gentlemen of Verona, one of the least important of the plays. But it was the first one that terrified you. But I guess maybe on some level you're like, if I can if I could get through that. I, I can get through anything else. I guess that's true. I, I don't know. I really believe that you need to be a little scared of everything. Just a mm-hmm. little bit. It, it puts an edge on what you're doing. You know, before I began doing the workshop with you, uh, with you and your team, um, I thought, gee, can I still do this? I was a little scared. Um, I, I, I think that comes with the territory, and and I think it comes with the. We're always putting ourselves. And our, you know, actors put themselves out there. Mm-hmm. They're there and it's their choices and their personalities and and their emotional plate that, that's being used. Well, directors do too. The choices, the way the direct, the play is shaped, the way uh, the themes that 
are brought out. And it's all for me, it's always terrifying before the first audience comes in, audience comes in. It's always terrifying to start on the first mm-hmm. day of rehearsal, but it's also terrifying when the first audience comes in. And I'm always sure that they're going to hate it. And a lot of times they do. And it hurts your feelings so much. But uh, I think fear comes along with it. Well, and, uh, you know, to be honest, we were probably both a little nervous before we did this today, you know, and in the, in the yes, few minutes. Exactly. Exactly. How's it going to go? <laughs> and then, and then you start doing, you're like, Oh, okay, it's fine. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think, I think, I think, I think that's, uh, that's a great reminder. And, and, and it's, you know, kind of ties back to that audition question, because like you said, you're, you know, you're rooting for the actor, you know, you want them, uh, you're hopeful for them. And, 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 and it, it, I think that that never ends. It always helps to have that someone out, uh, outside of you with that confidence, because I knew, even though you may have been, you know, a little nervous or hesitant about, uh, about the workshops I knew as the producer, I am so supremely confident in Libby. Like, you know, it's like, I, I, I have nothing to worry about, you know, even, even, even though we all, so it's like, whether it's actors are nervous and the directors are confident for them or the director's nervous and the producer is confident for them. Like it, it just, it always kind of keeps going along. Yes. Um, but yeah, it's, it's helpful to have that, um, to know that that external support is out there that, that, you know, and, and the audiences typically, want to come see a good play. They don't want to be disappointed. Oh, of course. They paid money to sit in that scene. And they're giving their time and they're giving their their free time in life from whatever is their work experience. So, of course, they want it to be wonderful. I I don't think anyone has ever particularly ever walked into a Broadway theater without an an expectation uh, uh, and their heart just... Right. A little bit more when that red curtain, I remember the days when the red curtain would go on, the fire curtain. And wow. What was it? Well, we, we we talked about you know the the, the two gents uh, production that that uh, that you started with, and and actually a couple comments came in. Oh, pe- people are talking about uh, Uncle Vanya that you directed at at Long Beach. Uh, uh, Wendy yeah. says no other production is ever compared. Um, uh, let's see, uh, Colleen Sullivan says Uncle Vanya was the best experience I ever had in a theater production. Oh, uh, Caitlin Morgan, I have done Vanya twice. And the one with Libby was exquisite. Uh, let's see. Nice. Um, beautiful Sonia. Perfect Sonia. Caitlin. And, uh, and, and Ian, uh, Patrick Williams said yeah, he played the Duke in that production of two gents. Um, yes, yes. How nice to remember that. Oh, I love doing this and hearing from people. This is uh, great. great. Okay, so um, I was curious: was there ever a play that drove you nuts? Like, in terms of feeling like, geez, I just can't wrap my head around it, or, or this is still eluding me. Uh, you know, one that kept you awake at night or, or again, was oh, that there were many <laughs> that kept you awake at night, many for many different reasons. Um, you know, I did a, a play called Death Watch by Jean Genet. And okay. I, don't, I don't know if you know Genet, but no, he's, no. he's it, it, it's out of that existentialist school of the 40s and 50s. And it's it's cruel. Mm. And I did a couple of plays by August Strindberg, and they are cruel, cruel. 
And I, I, my husband always used to comment that I would be sleeping with a different person and it was always the playwright. You are, you're living with um, the playwright. And when the playwright has a, um, not just jaded, but um, mean mm. look at life, it gets into your soul, it hurts. The thing that saves you, saved me with Samuel Beckett, because his stuff is tough, is how perfectly musical it is, how he he tells you exactly when to pause, exactly when to, you have to be on rhythm with it. And so it becomes a song. And that's wonderful. But the content is very sad and you know, what does the world mean anyway? And why are we alive anyway? Uh, that's a pretty difficult message to live with. So I would say I've had a lot of difficult experiences, but it's always joyous when you find solutions uh, to plays. I, I probably could name some that I didn't think was successful. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> but... but um, the hopefulness, I, I don't think, is there an actor alive who hasn't walked into that first rehearsal and said, oh, this is great. I can't wait. You know, otherwise don't do this. It's right. too, it's too hard a profession to be in. Um, and, and that's true for a director. Every time you take on a play, you want it to be the best thing you've ever done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I see uh, uh, Kevin C.K. Berg uh, has a question. Uh, he says, hi, Libby. Uh, such a joy to see hi. this. Uh, what is the single most helpful thing a director can do for an actor in the rehearsal process? Is there, do, you have a, do you have something you can, you can point to or say, if a director can really do this or you know, help in this way? Uh, probably there are several things, but one of the things is to give the actor the space, meaning the time and the support um, to, to discover. You don't always have the time for that, uh, mm -hmm. but I am a great believer in actors' imagination, so they wouldn't be doing this. It's, it's too hard, as I've, I've been yeah. saying, and when an actor has the chance to explore, to use his or her imagination, um, your own, I, the director, am always learning something. So it makes a huge difference to a production mm -hmm. when actors have brought their imaginative responses. I do think you always need a director because you always need someone to shape those choices from the actor. And you always need someone to shape the scenes and the through line of the play. It's cr crucial. And also a director presents um, the, the, the strength of the scenes, the, 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 the themes that the play should um, should be about because Shakespeare is so full of themes. So every single play has so many ideas in it that you have to choose a direction, if you will, 
of, of how the, and, and to give actors the opportunity to work within that, to, to bring their response to those themes is tremendously exciting and important. Did I answer your question? I, I think so. And, and well, I, I'll, I guess I'll have to answer on behalf of Kevin. No, he can, he can make it, make a comment if, uh, if he has a follow-up, but, uh, but yeah, no, I, I, I thought, um, I thought what you said was, was beautiful. Um, Carl Palmer, uh, or I read that was just, I, I had a question there. I think right, uh, yeah, Carl Palmer. He he was curious. What was your path to becoming a director, Libby? Oh, I can tell you exactly what it was. And thanks for the question, Carl. I have we've been connecting with each other from Facebook. I was Carl's teacher at Cal Arts in probably the mid to late '80s, but maybe it's early '80s. I'm not sure. Um, wait, what was the question? <laughs> my, my path to one went, how path I became, being a director. And it was funny because the, the specificity with which you answered, it was almost like I was going to hear, I remember eating a pastrami sandwich on the Upper West but Side. I almost can. I almost can. I was, uh, in a play at, I went to the University of Michigan as an undergrad and I was in a play. Uh, and I remember, I don't remember whether it was rehearsal or the performance. I'm pretty sure it was rehearsal. I remember, you know, saying my lines or whatever I was supposed to do. And I was kind of watching what everybody else was doing and thinking, you know, if she stood over there or if that idea could be a little stronger, that would be, and I knew it. And well, I didn't know it. I, I knew something was amiss, that I wasn't the best actor in the world. That I knew. And I had a wonderful acting teacher at University of Michigan, but I had already experienced this experience of seeing the scene differently than the director did. And this teacher said to me, Libby, take a directing class. I was a junior at Michigan. And I and that next semester I took um, the second semester junior year I took a directing class, and I directed um, the Lady of Larkspur Lotion by Tennessee, Tennessee Williams a one act. We had to do one acts, and I chose that one. Deeply touching and beautiful little gem of a piece by Tennessee Williams, and I'm telling you, Nathan, it was it it really was a bolt of lightning mm -hmm. i mean it was clear to me that that's what i was i suppose i'm a little bossy so that came naturally um but i just completely found myself um working in that class and working mm -hmm. on that one act and and you know there were a few years maybe this is more than you want to know but there were a few years I got married immediately uh, upon graduation. We were married, uh, another Michigan grad, and he was an artist. Um, we got married three weeks after we graduated and had children very soon after that. So I didn't go, that was in 1959. I didn't go back to the theater really uh, until I went back to grad school in 67. So wow. all those years I, I was home, but you know what I was doing? I was home with babies and changing diapers and taking care of babies. But what I really also was doing was reading. I spent the whole year reading James Joyce's work. Mm -hmm. I spent uh, the whole year reading 
Dostoevsky and uh, Tolstoy and, you know, surrounding Chekhov. I was always reading Chekhov, but they were serviceable for what was ahead. I didn't know that they would be. I was just reading out of the joy of Mm -hmm. reading. I'm a tremendously avid reader. But all of that played in to when I went back to grad school and started directing seriously. Very cool. Very, very, very cool. Um, well, we're, we're already, we've already done almost 50 minutes. So, I mean, I think we can do a, a, a few more questions and, and all that. And I can see more comments coming in. And can I get to see these comments at some point? Yes. Yes. Yeah, they'll, they'll be on the video page. So you can all, you can go back and, uh, you know, respond and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, uh, uh, folks, if you know, Libby, we're just keeping it simple for her just now. All she has to do is answer <laughs> questions. <laughs> and she's enjoying it. She doesn't have to worry. You don't have to look at too many screens. Exactly. Exactly. But uh, I am re- I'm trying to relay as much as I can. Um, let's see. Uh, a few comments that came in. Uh, D says, I remember counting 12 female actors in my years at OSF who were over the age of 35, all diverse. Thanks, Lib. Um, yeah. Let's see. Uh, Kevin said, uh, uh, Albert, uh, let's see, Albert Alar, born That's Al right. Farrar, was Waffles, right? I played Nani's member. That's uh, right. And Carl Palmer says, 86 to 89, Libby, right on the money. So, oh, great, great. <laughs> um, another quick uh, question that came in from David. Uh, he says, Libby, what plays would you still like to direct uh, and why? Um, well, I haven't directed all of my translations of Chekhov because they, the translations came after my direct directing mm-hmm. was over. Um, so I absolutely want to do Three Sisters and Cherry Orchard. No, Cherry Orchard I did. Uh, Three Sisters and Vanya again. Mm. Um, I've directed all of them a few times, but I'd like to do my translations. Uh, you know what? Ha- I did Hamlet twice, once at Oregon Shakespeare Festival and once at Indiana Repertory Theater. Hmm. Um, and they were both interesting productions. I had two fabulous Hamlets and wonderful actors in, in all of them. But I remember distinctly sitting in the back of the Elizabethan Theater at OSF and and watching Hamlet with an audience, this was my second production and of it and thinking, oh, I didn't get that right. Mm. Oh, I see. So I immediately thought I need to do that again. Mm. I never have the chance to do it again and that's fine. I could never do a Shakespeare. I can't direct anymore. It's too late <laughs> for me. I'm too old for it. It takes too much stamina and too much intense focus for me to do it. But there are probably thousands of plays that I'd still want to. Well, uh, I feel honored that we have you for at least once a week where you get to dive into Uncle Vanya and Mm -hmm. and you're fabulous with it. And uh, I know it does take energy to do it, but at least it's not the whole play. So at least we can really go deep. Uh, on one scene uh, of Vanya. So, um, and with uh, wonderful actors, by the way. Yeah. I'm enjoying yeah. working with them enormously. Yeah. And, 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 and I put a, I put a link uh, for people on, on Facebook uh, and I'll try to make sure that's, that's highlighted. You can come see, I'll mention it again, uh, this Monday, October 4th, we've been working weekly and you can see the final uh, workshop week 
Uh, just a continuation of everything people have been discussing and, and working through the scene. Uh, to, it's a scene from Act Two of Uncle Vanya with Libby's translation. Uh, and, and yeah, I think it'll be uh, really enjoyable and a very diverse cast. And so, you know, that's that's exciting on a number of levels, a lot of different perspectives and, and things like that. And uh, people have really been enjoying it. So I, I hope some of you are able to, to make that. Uh, it is free to attend that. Um, let's see here. Uh, oh, a couple more comments. Kevin Brief says, by the way, how great does Libby look? Um, oh, stop it. We're 84, Kevin. I'm 84. That's no, old. No one would believe it. Um, Lisa Volpe says, sending love, Libby. Oh, um, Lisa see. was a wonderful Paulina in mm-hmm. uh, Seagull. Oh, 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 yeah, Seagull, yes, yeah. Um, let's see, and then uh, Gail Silver says, uh, Dear Libby, you're still the vibrant, beautiful human I used to see riding on your bike, probably going to Goodman at the time, yes. uh, where I experienced you as well. I always feel joy when I think of you. Thanks, uh, Gail. So, yeah, lots, lots of positive comments coming in. Um, I just have one one more question, then we'll do like kind of a quick, I have a quick lightning round. But um, when you were at the Dean of CalArts, uh, what was your hope for the students? Because every year, you know, every school, every program, you know, is releasing more, you know, new young actors out into the world. And did you have a, a particular hope for the students that were graduating from, from CalArts Theater in terms of what you hoped they would learn or in terms of how to be artists in the world? Was there, was there a particular, you know, anything that you were, that you would really crystallize of like, this is what I'm hoping these actors go into the world with, with, with. Well, I, I hope that they went into the world. This was between 81 and 90. Mm-hmm. I was at CalArts um, that they went into the world with skill something mm-hmm. that I said very early in our conversation with skill and I guess passion. I, I, I've seen too many heartbreaks too. you know, acting is just an impossible profession because it's, it too often has rejection and it has rejection of you personally. It feels like you personally when you're an actor and that's a terrible thing. It shouldn't, shouldn't happen to people because everybody brings something beautiful to what they're doing. Um, if they're doing it sincerely and ca- with care. So I, I wanted I wanted actors to have passion, but I guess I also was hoping that they would be pre- prepared for the slings and arrows. And it is interesting. I started teaching in 1970 at the Goodman Theater. And, uh, and in fact, Gail Silver, that's where I knew Gail Silver. And that's where I knew Ian Patrick uh, Wilson. Um, some of the most brilliant actors, and there were many because this was a really fabulous conservatory, you know, became real estate salesmen or couldn't make it out there. Yeah. Because the the profession is so demanding and cruel. I'm using the word cruel a lot today, but it's coming to me. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know. Have you Are you familiar with the book, The Four Agreements by uh, Don Miguel Ruiz? No. Okay. So it's it, uh, in, in a very simple, it's something that I've been kind of looking at and, and I had a conversation with somebody yesterday, but the four agreements he writes, and, and I may be paraphrasing slightly, but uh, always do your best. Uh, never take anything personally. Uh, don't make assumptions and be impeccable with your word. 
you know, those are kind of like the, and, and as you were talking, those, a lot of them were flying around in my head. Cause it's like, yeah, as, as actors that are, as artists, a lot of that ring true that, that, you know, that's, if you can focus on those four things and, and you write a whole book because it's not easy to do those things. Uh, but if, if you can, you know, point your, your, your ship in that direction, I think you're, you're going to be um, at, at least probably have more, um, more contentment and more calm in your life just because you're you're not worried about all these other things that are flying around absolutely um well let's see there's a few uh questions uh coming in uh erwin is your son right uh, yes i have both my children were actors okay so erwin made a comment if you're 84 what does that make me <laughs> 60 <laughs> okay all right everyone's being outed today um <laughs> Let's see. Uh, Caitlin Morgan says, I'm a Vanya and Libby groupie. Uh, hope to be present to watch this next week. Uh, 84. We should all be this dynamic. Um, let's see. Uh, Rick Milliken. Yeah, there's no way you're 84. Um, you look fabulous from Annalisa. Uh, OK, yeah, lots, lots of love coming in. Uh, lots of people who do not believe you're, you're 84. Oh, I'm um, sorry I even spilled the beans, but it just came out. Well, now, well, see, now you've entered a phase in your life where, uh, you know, it, it's exciting to be transparent about your age where, you know, for a while, for so long, you know, you don't want to say what you're at. And now That's it's like, hey, hey, now I'm 84. I'm out there. I'm living it. I'm when, doing I, when I graduated from uh, Northwestern, my graduate work in, in theater, I was 32. And I remember thinking at that time, it's too late. I'm too old. I'll never oh. I'll never make the scene. You know, our perceptions of ourselves uh, are are very often the biggest barrier uh, to success. Yeah. yeah. You know, back to your first question, Nathan, an actor needs to walk into um, uh, an audition with a sense of confidence about themselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, And little did you know, you know, 50 years later, uh, you'd uh, you'd still be you know talking about this and and looking back at a whole lifetime you know of, of work that you did so uh, yeah it's everything can seem so uh, uh, time can seem so fleeting uh, you know as as you're experiencing it but there there really can be a lot of it so um, all right so there again there have been some great comments I really appreciate everybody coming in I have a quick lightning round I, and I pulled together ten questions. And basically, these are a this or that. So we're going to find out even more about Libby Apple. Oh, no. I'm going to give you, don't worry. These are all first, no matter what else you offer. What's that? Chocolate is first, is my first choice, no matter what else you offer. <laughs> you know, I, I I was like, I was like, do I ask the chocolate? Well, for me, the chocolate question would be chocolate or dark chocolate. It's not even a choice. It'll start yeah. the dark chocolate. But okay, so I, all right, I have 10 more questions, uh, and we'll find out a little bit more about uh, Libby Apple. So, all right, number one, sunrise or sunset? Oh, sunset. Okay, coffee or tea? Tea. The mountains or the beach? Oh, love them both. All right. Salty or sweet? Sweet. (laughs) Sandwich or salad? Sandwich, sadly. (laughs) Um, Always would choose a sandwich. Book or movie? Book. Uh, Early riser or night owl? Early riser. Summer or winter? Uh, Summer or winter. Summer or winter. Mmm. Spring. 
Okay. Autumn, as Vanya says, autumn roses are so beautiful and so sad. Perfect. Uh, fruits or vegetables? Vegetables. All right. And then uh, number 10, this, this could be very divisive, dogs or cats? Oh, I've been a dog person my whole life, but I have a cat now because I can't really take care of a dog anymore. Uh, and I love my cats so much that it's very hard for me. I can't live without either one of them. I'm an animal person. All right. Okay. Well, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll give you a pass on that one. And and actually, that, that allows me to say that next uh, Monday, um, for people who come, you, you can grab a ticket for free. Uh, you also have an opportunity to make a donation to the World Wildlife Fund. You know, I opened that up to the directors to, to pick a charity, uh, you know, that that uh, resonates with them. And that was one of the ones uh, Libby mentioned. A hundred percent of what you uh, contribute will be sent on uh, as a donation uh, to uh, the World Wildlife Fund uh, if you attend the uh, Banya workshop uh, presentation. And that is another thing where even if you can't make it live, I will send you a recording so you can watch it uh, and check it out. But uh, really, really uh, uh, love that uh, everybody's been able to do it. Look at that. We're almost... Perfectly, uh, uh, one hour later. Um, so this is this has been wonderful, Libby. I, I hope this was my first Facebook Live. I hope you enjoyed this Facebook I Live. I did. Thank you. And it was so wonderful to hear the comments from uh, from folks that I haven't, you know, had other than the most glancing touch. Of course, D. Maskey. I spent a lot of years at the Oregon Shakespeare Fest, a festival with D. Maskey, one of the great actors of all times. Great. Well, um, everybody that's been here, um, uh, you know, this page will stay up and so you can come back and make other comments and 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 I'll make sure Livia has the link so she can see your comments and, and all that kind of stuff. A couple more that are just trickling in. Uh, Elaine, Devlin, uh, Beagleman. Um, hopefully I'm saying your last name right, Elaine. Uh, 40 years after CalArts, I'm still learning from you, Libby. Thank you for sharing your experience and wisdom. Love you. Uh, from Rick, that was uh, this was completely fun. Uh Ooh. Who was uh, Rick Milliken. Uh, this was completely fun. Um, Julia Gibson. Thank you, Libby. It's always oh, inspiring to be in your yeah. presence, uh, even via the Internet. Uh, OK, so, uh, yeah, everybody's everybody's enjoying it. Uh, uh, Rick wants us to do it again. So uh, we'll, we'll we'll see. But, yeah, uh, the really, really wonderful to uh, talk with you uh, this afternoon, Libby. And but thank you all so much for tuning in on Facebook. Uh, and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll hope to do more of these soon, uh, you know, either with Libby or other guests. But uh, yeah, stay tuned. All right. Uh, everybody have a great uh, rest of your day. Hey, it's Nathan here one more time. Uh, thanks so much for tuning in to that uh, entire presentation. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I love going back. I mean, every time I watch these, I'll learn something new. Uh, the work is just so fantastic and so deep. Uh, it, it's just wonderful. So I hope you really enjoyed that. Uh, and like I said, the plan is to roll out more of these. So please stay tuned to the podcast uh, or YouTube. Um, you know, I'll really, I'm really making an effort to uh, you know put more of this out there and not just uh, hold on to it and wait for someday. Uh, and uh, you know, if you're not on the email list, go to workingactorsjourney.com. Um, that is usually uh, where you will find out first about things that are coming up. You know, where I first shared about uh, Libby being part of the rehearsal room and anything else that's going on, I probably will be able to email about it first before I'm able to get it out on the podcast uh, or YouTube. Maybe social media, but email is, again, going to be your best bet. So workingactorsjourney.com. 
It's free to sign up. You can even get a resource. It's called 10 Ways to Stop Worrying and Start Working. Uh, some of the uh, best advice from, I think, the first two seasons of the show uh, in a PDF. So you get that immediately when you uh, sign up. Uh, you get that free. And then you'll get ongoing notices of what we're doing. So that is it. Hope you're having a great rest of your day. Look forward to sharing more with you soon. And take care. I'm Nathan Agan, and enjoy the journey.